Hello, Diana. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. Today we have our overarching question of should we give and take? Um, But first, um, I want to myself answer the question, should we rescue clothes? Lay it on us. Okay. So for those who have been listening, you know, to the whole arc of our several seasons, you'll know that like... I, I have a constantly evolving relationship to clothes and shopping. So there was a while where I was like really into Rent the Runway. And then there was a while where I was like really out of it. And then there was a while where I came back to it. There was a while, I don't know, what else have we I did a whole about? segment on satin bomber jackets. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. So here's where I'm at now. And it feels like a big shift for me. Okay, so how it happened was that I read an article in Darling Magazine. The recent one that was called um, Selfless was the, like, topic of the magazine. And the article was called Shopless, I think. It was basically about modern-day slavery and how so many of the products that we use every day, especially clothing, are made by people who are essentially enslaved to working in unimaginable conditions with little to no pay, and I talked about child labor. There were a lot of things in this article that I generally knew or had heard or read about before, but for some reason, in that context, in that moment, it finally spoke to me it really moved me in a way that was like, I really want to make a, a change mm-hmm. that matters. Like, I really want to have some kind of thoughtful lens or like filter when I'm buying things. Am I doing the best that I can to make sure that it was produced in an ethical, mm-hmm. sustainable way? And I thought, okay, what's the area I could start with in my life? And it was like clothes, definitely. It's got to be close. And some way I found my, my way to thread up. It is basically the answer to my aversion to secondhand shops. There are a couple of secondhand shops in my neighborhood that I really like because they are small and curated and not too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But most of the time when I go into a secondhand shop, I just like kind of shut down with overwhelm and with the amount of work it takes to find a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. Well, ThreadUp is in some ways a little overwhelming in that it's kind of like if you could search Mall of America all at once with like some filters but not enough of them, mm-hmm. it's like the variety is bigger than any department store. Because mm-hmm. it's over time. 
It's like all the different options that have been offered in department stores over time. So the first time I went to that site, I was like, I don't know. This is also maybe it's too overwhelming for me. But then once I recommitted, I was like, no, let's see. Let's start with a small experiment. Can this actually work better for me? So what happened was I have a pair of pants. They're the best pants I've ever found in my life. And I thought, I got to get another pair of those pants. Hopefully they still sell them. I went to the store's website. They don't sell them anymore. I was devastated. But I was like, wait, thread up. So I went there. I looked for these pants. And guess what? They had them brand new. I mean, no tags on them, but no signs of wear. And for a tiny fraction of the original price. This is like even better than if I had found them on the store's website. And then I can feel so good because I have not generated production of a new item. Mm -hmm. And those pants needed to be rescued. They did. They were waiting for you. They had them in my size. They had even like multiple pairs, multiple sizes. Wow. And when you go to the website, you'll be like, hmm, the clothes seem kind of wrinkled. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this is about. Like, for some reason, the way that they photograph clothes, like, they don't seem to get all the wrinkles out. Mm -hmm. So the pants on the website, they looked wrinkled. And I was like, I'm I'm just going to try it. I tried it. They came. They were not wrinkled. What? They went in the mail to me, and they weren't wrinkled. They were great. Oh, my gosh. I don't understand. So it was sort of false advertising, but in a negative direction where actually reality was better than the advertising. Exactly. I can't promise that for, you know, other items, but I would say that so far my experience has been excellent. And I feel like this is now going to be my first destination, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my go-to. Like, oh, I really need like whatever. I'm going to look there first. And how do you feel about yourself now? How do I feel about myself? Proud. Yeah, proud. I mean, because when I would buy things before, there was always like an intense mix of exhilaration. I got something beautiful. Maybe I got a little discount. It feels it's so fancy or whatever, but also I feel bad about how much I spent and I feel bad about like this giant question mark of like how did it actually get yeah. to me? Now like if I start with thread up, I get to only have joy. <laughs> <laughs> interesting how many small pleasures involve kind of the the charge of maybe I'm a little bit bad <laughs> you know like yeah. I feel that way um, like this week I ate a pint of mango ice cream and it was so good and at the same time I had this feeling of like probably a pint of ice cream is like too much to eat at once but I think that the pleasure and the guilt going together like something in me just expect that, you know, or whatever, and get something out of the combo. But how interesting to find sort of guilt-free pleasures. And I'm not really, like, we don't believe in guilt, really, like the two of us, I don't think. Should we feel guilty? No, but we do a lot. We definitely do. So I'm definitely not saying anyone should feel guilty about eating a pint of ice cream. I experienced some guilt. What is that about, you know? 
anyway, the point is finding things that satisfy and give pleasure without kind of needling you can be really satisfying. Yeah, I found some of that through Rent the Runway. I mean, Rent the Runway also has kind of a thing of like, why not share clothes Mm -hmm. rather than buying everything one-offs new and just keeping them in your closet. But I don't know, for some reason, Thread Up really got me. And I think also because Rent the Runway, I still found to be quite expensive. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with nothing when you cancel your subscription. Mm -hmm. That feels a little sad sometimes. Like it was really helpful for a period of time where I was trying to expand my personal style, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. But I think that now that I really know what I like, what works for me, then Thread Up has been pretty useful because then you get to keep it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's also something we considered titling this episode, Should We Shop? And I think that There's something about shopping that is about uh, like a steady stream of novelty in life, like how to bring new stuff into life. And Rent the Runway was a very reliable way to bring new stuff into life. ThreadUp is interesting because the things you buy go into this cumulative pile of all the things you've ever bought. But if you spent less on it to begin with and it was already like you rescued it, then now you can also identify with the next person who buys it or picks it up from goodwill or whatever because you you were that too you know it's just part of the life of the object well thread up also has this great program where you just you can request a clean out bag it comes to you for free Mm -hmm. i think and you just stuff all of your clothing that you don't wear into it and send it to them and then they will do something responsible with it either resell it on thread up or Yeah, they process it into like, you know, what goes on ThreadUp, what goes to donation. Mm -hmm. And they're able to be much less precious about that than I am because I feel guilt as I look at all the things I bought and never wore or that I bought and don't really fit anymore that I bought. And it was sort of overambitious in terms of expanding my personal style. But all of those things are learnings and sometimes you don't have to get all the learnings all the time by going through the process yourself. Sometimes you can just ask someone else for help. Yeah. Although don't donate garbage. Yeah. This creates a lot of work. It's basically just passing on work that as long as your constitution can handle it. It's it's sort of like if you pass this on to donate in some way Imagining someone wearing it actually reduces their dignity. Mm-hmm. Like, does this have a giant hole in it? Is it stained? Is it like unwearable in some way? Don't add to a nonprofit's like burden of processing things like that. Yeah, and you had an experience with that, which is actually related to giving. Yeah, yeah, I had an experience where I volunteered to help process clothing donations. And I was just really shocked at the volume of things that get donated, which are clearly like someone just couldn't be honest with themselves Mm -hmm. that this 
article of clothing has reached the end of its life cycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that there's two types of guilt that can come up when we give away clothes or give away things. One is like, I never wore this, but that probably means it's in great condition. Yeah. <laughs> so y- lean into that. Yes. And then the other type is like, I don't want to wear this anymore, but maybe someone else can find value in it and therefore its story can continue when actually its story is over. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have clothing that is still at the beginning or the middle of its life cycle? Donate it. Find a good home for it. Yeah. Especially if it's business attire to go to dress for success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What else? Okay. So we're now we're kind of zooming out to the overarching question of should we give and take? So Diana, you read the book. I didn't. Oh, yeah. What did you get from the book? Give and Take by Adam Grant. Well, the book made me feel pretty good because I think that I sometimes worry that I'm too much of a softie or something. But this book had a very positive framing about what it called givers. Um, So the idea is givers and takers can both succeed, but givers' success multiplies other people's success. There's something like you can succeed as an extreme taker or an extreme giver, but being in the middle where you're just sort of like a pushover is not very effective. Wait, being in the middle is not effective? Yeah, and I, I'm wishing that I had read this more recently so that I could say what is the middle, you know, I, I what totally are the behaviors of the middle. I totally put you on the spot, sorry. <laughs> well, there's a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant, who happened to be <laughs> my college interviewer, which is so cool. He's like a big deal now, but I first met him when he was a graduate student at the University of Michigan doing college interviews. So he met me at a Starbucks and interviewed me for admission to Harvard. And we had like a two hour conversation. It was so great. We talked about Alice in Wonderland. We talked about some of the professors he admired. It was like a great deep conversation. And he was so bright eyed and so sort of hopeful and curious and just a joy to be around. And I'm not surprised at all that he's a famous author now. He wrote this book about all the studies he'd done and other people had done about giving and taking behavior. And basically, the conclusion of it that I took away was it's fine to be a giver. Just do it on purpose. Diana, I think that the reason why I still haven't read this book is because I'm afraid that maybe I'm a taker. (sighs) It's possible. Well, that's why I was confused when you were like, you can succeed as an extreme taker, extreme giver. I was like, isn't it bad to be a taker? And what if that's what I am? So that question of like, am I a taker, even though I don't know what it means, Mm. according to Adam Grant, I think it just goes back to kind of like the course of my life, Mm -hmm. which is that for an enormous amount of time, I was just on the receiving end of help over and over and over and over. I couldn't really get very far. I couldn't get beyond, you know, being born in a depressed small town in the Rust Belt where there wasn't much opportunity and we were broke, like, without help. There's only so far that, like, hard work and perseverance can take you, I think. Then being on the receiving end of, like, 25 or so years of like here's a handout here's a scholarship here's like really helpful advice and mentorship from 
like perfect strangers and like people who went out of their way to care over and over and over again. Here's some financial help or whatever, all kinds of help from strangers, perfect strangers, acquaintances. On the one hand, I am learning to be grateful for all of that. But it's been a process because in a lot of ways, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great to be a receiver over and over again. I just kept being like, when's the point where I'm the giver? Mm -hmm. But actually, there was a middle period where I got to a point that felt more balanced to me. Like I wasn't in desperate need of anything. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't a giver yet because there was a sense of desperation. Like, I got to hold on to everything I got. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, what if the bottom falls out mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. under me? And so it's maybe like now-ish that I'm like, wonder what it would be like to be a giver. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you caught that because I think that giving and taking as they relate to money and resources can be really fraught. You use the word receiving, but there's also receiving and taking. <laughs> Are they really different, you know? Yeah. And I think that this book has a super different lens, which is mainly about giving and taking in, like, environments of similarly resourced peers. So I'm oh. vaguely remembering that it's about, like, giving and taking as behaviors in the workplace, or a lot of the anecdotes are about that. It's not so much about giving and taking across sort of resource disparity. I see. Interesting. But I still don't know if I'm a giver or taker, <laughs> even in equally resourced environments. <laughs> so say more about that. Well, I mean, I guess you don't necessarily know either. That's right. In that you've never really been in the, in the workplace with me. Although making should we has been a, a work. Yeah. I think I have examples from our relationship. For example, you helped me get my first job in technology. I didn't really help you get a job or anything. For but you did. Until much later. Okay. Yeah. And you let me sleep on your couch. You were like, here's my couch, and I took it. <laughs> <laughs> Even like when we got our studio for Should We, it was you who made that happen. And you were like, I want to give. I want to share this with you. That will feel more fulfilling. And I was like, yeah, I take. I'm, I, I will take you up on that <laughs> thing that requires nothing of me. I don't know. What if I have a pattern of just taking? Right. But for me, in those cases, it's not like you were making demands or being extractive. You know, both of us saw the same facts on the ground and there for me was just an opportunity to help. You know, I saw a great outcome hovering on the horizon and I just wanted to be a part of making it happen. I think that for somebody who identifies as a giver, anything that bolsters that identity, any act I can do that reminds me, yes, I'm a giver, aka in my worldview, yes, I'm a good person. Mm is great, very positive. I'm totally self-obsessed. I'm not looking at you and seeing whether you're giving to the degree I expect you to, therefore, are you a good person? I'm completely turned inward. That is so interesting. Also a good reminder, like most people are self-obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Like, not, not, I'm not saying that in a judging way, just a good reminder that most of the time 
other people are not thinking about you. <laughs> yeah, and like I find you so pleasant to be around in the fact that you don't perseverate over accepting things <laughs> that I don't even think about. Like the thing that I appreciate about you is how complimentary you are to my inclinations and sort of natural habits and quirks. Because you are a compliment, there's not as much friction. And I experienced the lack of friction in our relationship and those pockets of our relationship as pleasant. I'm not even looking at what you're doing and whether I think it's good. I see. That's so interesting. And it makes me appreciate the fact that I have so much practice in receiving that like you can be kind of good at receiving like in a way. There was a period of time where I was sick for a year with mono. And I think that was the time where like the ability to receive was like cemented mm -hmm. in me, you know, because if I was going to be difficult that whole time, <laughs> it was not going to be good. Like the the only thing I could do was be a nice receptacle <laughs> of help, you know, just say yes and say thank you and try to appreciate what was coming my way and try not to create like a huge knot of guilt and complication around it. And like, since I knew I couldn't give anything back and I, I didn't know when would be a time when I might be able to return a favor or something. I was in grad school, so I also knew that probably a lot of the people in my life wouldn't necessarily be in my life yeah. later. Most of the people who helped me I don't really know them anymore because mm -hmm. we all moved on. And so I had to just accept I'm going to be a receiver now. I hope one day I'm not just receiving, I'm, I'm also giving. What's your relationship to giving now? Well, I'm very excited about it. I'm thinking about it like mostly in the realm of donation, mm -hmm. donating money. Um, I tried out, you know, a little bit of volunteering I really don't have an excess of energy mm -hmm. in terms of like my overall health. And so it felt like actually trying to give of my very limited energy wasn't helpful. Mm -hmm. Like it was kind of detrimental to me. So yeah. it didn't really feel like I made enough of a difference for it to be worth the consequences mm -hmm. for me. I do get really excited about donating. I've been donating to the Global Fund for Women for a while now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really like about it is that they're so thoughtful about empowering receivers, mm -hmm. allowing the women around the world who receive grants from them to be able to decide how best to use those funds. Their approach, I think, is very empowering. It's like the example of being a part of community or an organization that receives some sort of help in the form of money, and it's got all of these stipulations. Mm -hmm. This zillion dollars must be used for curriculum development, and like all your house is just burned down. And you're like, great, what am I going to do with curriculum? I don't have a house. You know, like so nice of you, person who knows nothing about what I'm dealing with, yeah. to be like, you know what you need? curriculum. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to learn your way out of this. Yeah. So like I think I really like supporting organizations that 
empower people and give them ownership. And then for a while, I thought I was donating to the ACLU after I had listened to Call Your Girlfriend. There was this great moment in one of the episodes. Amina says, I got I to take on another project or something. I got ACLU bills to pay. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I just had this moment where I was like, that is so helpful to think about it as like bills to pay. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that it's our responsibility to support if we can. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you, you pay your internet, you pay your utilities, you pay your ACLU. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I recently started donating to is Scholar Match, mm-hmm. which I had discovered through their storefront in San Francisco. And I think so much of their approach to providing underprivileged students with the holistic support they need to go to college and get through it really resonated with me. I know so well that even a full scholarship actually isn't enough mm-hmm. to like graduate from college. There, there are a lot of other things that seem like a given to a, a lot of students that you also need. For example, like let's say you, you got into your dream school on the East Coast and you got a full scholarship which you needed or else else you couldn't go and then you get there you're like this place is cold (laughs) and I have all these clothes from growing up in like a warm place like how are you gonna get through four years if like you can't afford warm enough clothes Mm -hmm. you know yeah and both that and your global fund for women storylines really focus on the basics you know like it's hard to manage life without the basics in order any organization that recognizes that and is cool with the basics instead of insisting on only doing the glamorous work of trying to inspire or whatever like let's do the basics let's cover coats and let's even if we're doing something inspiring like scholar match has a bunch of mentoring built in Let's also watch the basics. Yeah. I don't know if Scholar Match actually covers codes. <laughs> there, there was a program like that at Harvard. Yeah. Um, but they do um, help with a lot of the basics that are tangible and intangible. Mm-hmm. Things like, you know, who's going to help you make sense of this or that bureaucratic thing that comes up mm-hmm. in college? Who's going to sit with you and, like... Um, help you process what it feels like to fail, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And part of me has wanted to stay quiet because I'm in a moment of not giving that much to organizations. Like I went through about a year of giving a lot of money every month to six different organizations on a recurring basis that as longtime listeners will know, addressed all of my worst fears about what might happen under the current administration. And that seemed like the least I could do and was one of the first things I did in the moments right after November 2016 to feel afloat, like feel like I was doing anything and feel like my immense fear had an outlet. Right now, I'm 
only giving on a recurring basis to an organization I volunteered with at the end of high school, 826 Michigan, which is actually related to Scholar Match. They're both part of the sort of 826 Valencia scheme of things. Um, And 826 Michigan is a writing center. And just a long time ago, like while I lived in Berlin, I set up a monthly recurring donation. Uh, My internship manager is still there. She is actually in the band that created our theme song. (gasps) Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So it's all connected. And I think she listens. Hi. I still give there, but I wrapped up all my other recurring donations, partly because I felt like all of those were a reaction to fear and dread. I wanted to be more thoughtful about total impact. On the road to being more thoughtful, I took a break. And I'm in I'm in a break right now. And that's embarrassing to admit while you're talking about ramping up, you know, I sort of ramped down and I certainly have resources. What I try to hold in mind is that life is long and I want to make the biggest difference I can in the long term. And so in the scheme of things, as long as this isn't like an opinionated permanent thing, there will be ebb and flow, and I know I will give again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you wrote to me recently in Slack, there are seasons to everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. And I think that I've seen that in life around me where sometimes the life at hand, you know, whether it's health issues or trying to get a kid into the first few years of college, or for me, it was buying a house, like there are these events in life that take massive, massive sort of explosions of resources, and it all evens out, you know, sometime later. And so respecting the seasons of life, but holding true to not like, I give to organizations or I don't give to organizations, like that's not part of my identity. It's just a moment I'm in that I'm not doing much right now, but I intend to again. Mm-hmm. And when you say evens out, I imagine that's like from the perspective of generally living a life of abundance, Mm -hmm. like it's, you know, the way you expend different types of resources shifts versus like there are lots of people for whom like life doesn't even out. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, That's what I meant. Yeah. I mean, it's still uncomfortable to talk about because I very strongly associate giving a lot with being a good person. Oh, okay. This brings me back to you identifying as a giver in the give and take universe yeah. of Adam Grant. So what does it mean to you to be a giver? Mm-hmm. I think being a giver is about looking beyond myself. So it's actually kind of funny that a lot of my giving impulses come from wanting to be a good person <laughs> because I think that true giving is about seeing the picture that's bigger than you and seeing what's needed. So I was in a conversation this week where one of the takeaways was at all times, you can be looking around you and reflecting on what's great about this. Sometimes there's not that much that's great, but it's nice to think that there's something great in everything. What's great about this situation and what's needed here? Every person, every situation has needs and noticing those needs rather than being completely self-obsessed and interior can open up possibilities, it can open up conversations, and it can just, it can be really refreshing to let life be bigger than you. An example of what's needed here is like, sometimes I end up feeling underappreciated or something, you know, and I'm like, I'm 
doing so much and people just take me for granted. Um, and that, that that seems like a giver tendency. Very much so, yeah. It's really a martyr tendency, which I think <laughs> is sort of like an unhealthy variant of giving. I'm doing so much here and I'm not appreciated. But I've tried to train myself to hear I feel underappreciated with we feel underappreciated. Like other, it is a thing in life to feel underappreciated. And like if I look beyond myself, how can I address that? I can appreciate the people around me more. I'll often turn from, when I remember, when I remember to, I'll turn from like, oh, mom, I feel underappreciated, to like, oh, you know, I'm wandering around and I'm trying to tell people at the office about the positive impact they had on me or how I so appreciate their attitude or their consistency or how I just love working with them and have learned so much from them. And that tends to turn around the ship because it's not so much that I need appreciation as that it seems like there's not enough appreciation in the air. Oh, interesting. And so it definitely creates some reciprocation. That is a side effect sometimes. If I express appreciation for someone else, they'll often express appreciation for me in return. But that's not the only reason I do it. It's not even the main reason I do it. I think the main thing I notice is that when there is more appreciation in the air, I'm able to breathe that air too. Mm -hmm. It seemed like has always been true about you is that you're very sensitive to noticing what's needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's a bunch of good books about being an empath. I almost wanted to put that in quote unquote because being an empath, you know, I'm I feel a little funny identifying as an empath, but I think that I I am very sensitive to my surroundings and to other people no matter what. And actually, the self-obsession of making it about me is sometimes the problem. Sometimes I'm picking up something that's in the air and trying to make it my problem or trying to make it about me when turning outward and saying just what's needed here generally. Like if I believe that what is in me, what I'm experiencing is actually bigger than me, what would I do about that and how would I shift my relationship to it? And I think that I'm very I'm very sort of porous. Like I take in a lot, like one of the things we've been talking about lately is that I would love to have an activity that I could veg out to, but it's very difficult for me to watch TV shows because I get completely wrapped up in the characters' storylines and take on their guilt and betrayal. <laughs> and I, st- I, I noticed this, it becomes hilarious because I was watching the show Billions or whatever for like half an episode and I started really worrying that I was mismanaging money and I was like this is a show whose name is about money two hours ago I wasn't worried about how I'm managing money now I'm preoccupied what changed it's the television show you know (laughs) and so it just feels I'm like actually trying to almost isolate myself from media right now because it just has such a large effect on me and I wish that I I wish that I had stronger boundaries around that. I wish that I didn't have to take it all in. But right now it happens below the level of conscious choice. And so I'm just kind of always swimming in the air I breathe. Mm. That reminds me of this novel we read. I think you chose it. Um, The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. Yeah. Oh, that novel is beautiful. It's like a little bit surreal, but in a way that feels just like extra real mm-hmm, to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's about being able to taste emotions, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, lately I've been realizing that I also have a belief that it's good, 
this is becoming an episode about being a good person. But I also, <laughs> I, I also have a belief that good people read fiction. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And if I were a good person, I would read more fiction. But I was really unpacking that with you this week and realized that one of the arguments people give for why it's good to read fiction is that fiction gives you a window into other people's minds and increases your empathy. But I find reading fiction often totally overwhelming because I'm so I'm so in the character's feels that I take them on for myself and then I have to go on whatever emotional trip they're on, which is because I'm already so permeable and porous that I don't actually, I think that I need help with empathy, but the thing I need help with is realizing what's mine and what's not mine so that I can be more sort of present and generous rather than starting to freak out about the feelings I have that are actually other people's feelings, even fictional characters' feelings in a book. (laughs) (laughs) I really love the parts in this episode where you whisper. (laughs) So there's definitely a should we question here of like, should we read books we think we should read, but we don't actually want to? Yeah. No. Definitely not, but it really... I mean, I I was feeling kind of crummy about how much self-help I read. I'm just like shoveling it in my mouth. And I realized after this fiction realization that maybe the thing I like about self-help is that it lets me think about me. Yeah. Should you think about you? Yeah. If you want to. If you want to. Yes. Well, and in general, like noticing, I think that there's lots of shoulds out there that are about counterbalancing something a large fraction of people feel, but not everybody feels that way. Yeah. You should only solve for you. I'm nodding my head so hard right now because I'm thinking of an article on Medium, but it was basically like a list of all of the morning rituals that the author felt that they should do, that society was telling them, if you want to live any a life that is meaningful in any way, and if you don't want to, like, die of self-inflicted, you know, health concerns early and all of this stuff, but essentially, if you want to be a good person, here are all the morning rituals you have to do. And then calculating out, like, if I actually did all of these things, it would take, like, several days <laughs> to do the, like morning rituals I should do. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that remembering there's a large part of especially, I have to say, medium-centered life hacks and life advice that are about getting through to people who have a starting point that's probably pretty different from yours, Lisa, and pretty different from mine. That doesn't mean it's not the starting place of our listeners, but there's all these articles about getting more organized or being more efficient with your time, I read them and I'm like, yes, that is so right. You know, that's so right. I do need to be more efficient with my time. But people know me as somebody who's extremely efficient with time. And so what gets under my skin is just that I agree time is important. And therefore, the articles that have these really extreme suggestions, I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's important. And I'm not doing enough. But actually, the audience for that article is not the person who's already preoccupied with time, but the person who doesn't think that much about time. 
the mechanism is opening their eyes through extreme claims. Mm -hmm. And then they adopt like 1% of them and then they start down the road. I mean, it kind of goes back to Austin Kleon's saying that all advice is autobiographical. So it's like, you know, reading advice and life hacks and that sort of thing is, and getting anything from it depends so much on like, how good the match is between the problems the author was trying to solve for themselves and the problems that you actually want to prioritize right now Mm -hmm, to solve mm -hmm. for yourself. Mm -hmm, Totally. And I'm also thinking about something my manager has said a lot to me. Um, One manager that I work with at work is like, whatever you worry about, you probably don't need to worry about. (laughs) Like whatever you worry about means you're attending to it. But that means you're probably attending to it more than most people do. Like, I worry a lot about annoying people. But because I worry a lot about annoying people, I worry about annoying people because I'm a PM. (laughs) I'm a product (laughs) manager. So it's a little bit my job to annoy the right people at the right time just enough. So I worry a lot about annoying people. But, like, because I worry about that, I'm very sensitive to when I annoy them even a little bit. And then I back off or switch strategies. And so that's the kind of thing where whatever you're attending to, you're probably on top of. Mm-hmm. material about that thing will probably really resonate because you're already attending to it and agree it's important. Right. Diana, I feel like there are a lot of themes that we touched on here that I knew about you, but I, I feel like I really learned new things about you today, which I usually feel like, oh, our listeners get to learn <laughs> things about you that I already know, but I, thanks for sharing. Well, what did you learn? I'm so curious now. Well, I think that what you shared helped me make more sense of how you feel about fiction. Mm. What's so fun about our friendship and our Slack channel is that like a lot of times we'll surface a thing that's bothering one or the other of us. And then it'll be like, oh, my gosh, me too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really fun to just like commiserate, empathize. And then there are definitely times where I feel like something comes up for you and on my end, it kind of falls like a thud. Yeah. And I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> I don't get it. And then, like, you maybe you'll say more, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, like, be try to be accepting and supportive mm-hmm. and try to make sure you don't feel like you're wrong or anything. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't get it. I feel like now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I feel like realizing that a lot of my preoccupation with quote-unquote being a good person is a luxury, and I just don't really want to be preoccupied with that anymore. Anyway, that's something I realized from what I said. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Thank you to our listeners for being there for us and for letting us be there for you through the medium of audio. Thank you to Women's Audio Mission for being our recording home. And thank you, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Diana. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you.